um, this Sunday, I'm just going to speak a little bit about really the, 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 the Christmas story, remind us of it. I've entitled this talk, The Birth of Jesus Christ, A, a Life-Changing Dilemma, A Life-Changing Dilemma. And I'm going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 to 25. So I'll just read this to you. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So just a couple of things in the in, that, in, in, in the background of that. First of all, obviously when it talks about them coming together, it means that, that they, hadn't, they hadn't slept together at that point and she was found to be with child. Um, he had in mind to divorce her quietly because in those days, um, when you were pledged to be married, when you were engaged, if you like, um, it, was, it was as though you were already married. It wasn't like, you know, if you think about engagement these days, it's, um, you know, people get engaged and not engaged and it happens quite quickly. There, it was, it was almost like the first part of getting married was to get engaged. And so when you came out of that, the only way to do that was through a divorce. And then you've got these quite miraculous things of angels and dreams and miraculous conceptions. I want to just make three observations on this passage and then look at four brief characteristics of Joseph. And, and those observations come out of a question, and if you like, it's the question that, that, that John sort of alluded to earlier. Why is Christmas so important? Because for the Christian, Christmas is really important. And uh, if we don't hang on to it, then uh, what gets lost is one of the best opportunities we have to tell people about Jesus. It gets lost if we do not hang on to Christmas. In fact, I was meeting this week. It was David and I, we were talking this week, and he was reminding me of the importance of Christmas for the Christian and for celebrating it and for remembering what Jesus had done. Because we do live in a world, as, as Pauline talked about, where, where we're, and I'm always saying this, where we're moving away from the fact that we're remembering who Christ is. Yeah, And they're even changing the words of carols so we no longer sing the truth about Jesus. We just sing really lovely words. Yeah, And Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer becomes a carol. That's not a carol. That's like a sort of a Christmas jingle. Yeah, That's not the same as a carol. And so um, we're moving away from that. So it's so important for the church to keep this in mind and for the Christian 
to be reminded of it. And there are just three observations on the passage as to why it's so important. First of all, you've got to remember that at the beginning of Matthew, it's um, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And until that point, there were 400 years between that moment and the last time that God had actually spoken. So it's a long time since God had said anything to, to man, really. He hadn't really spoken during uh, for a period of time. And it begins with this actually quite beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of young love. Joseph and Mary were quite young, um, of fidelity, of righteous behavior uh, that Joseph um, sort of uh, does, of, of a reputation that could have been lost, but a willingness to do that in order to follow God's ways. There was suspicion in there. There was a commitment and there was new life. All of this is going on in that moment when Joseph discovers, oh, Mary's pregnant. She's pregnant. It took faith and courage for Joseph to, to operate beyond that. It wasn't what you expected. In those days, young people weren't considered to, to be able to, to um, uh, really, you were, it was the mature people that really followed God. And the young people weren't considered to be able to do that. And yet Joseph and Mary are chosen as a young couple to take some really mature decisions and to hold God in honor. It's also quite a wonderful picture of marriage. This situation of Joseph and Mary, that he, he takes her as his wife. He doesn't, although she's pregnant, and at times he must have wondered what was going on. It says he has no union with her until. So there's discipline there. The first occasion that God speaks is this wonderful story. The second observation is it is a little glimpse to us of how God works. And it's really important for us to understand how God works. Because do you know what? God still works in the same way. And if you don't get how God works, you can actually miss what he's doing in your life and in the world today. So it's important for us to see it. It's a glimpse of what he values. If you think about Joseph and Mary and their situation, from the point of view of the outsider, it didn't look great. Mary's pregnant. They're not yet married. Joseph's like, what, what should I do? He's between a rock and a hard place. What should he do? If he marries her, people are going to think, oh, well, they've slept together before. If he divorces her, she then gets exposed. And yet God allows that situation to happen in order that his purposes might be fulfilled. And sometimes we might wonder, oh, does God sometimes allow difficult situations in order that we might fulfill his purpose? Yes, he does. If we don't realize that, that sometimes that's how God works. He's interested in righteousness. He's interested in obedience. He's interested in your heart. If you don't realize that, if you think God is only interested in what goes on the outside, then you've missed something about him. If you think that God is only interested in, in how high you raise your hands or how loud you sing or the fact that you come to church, then you've missed something. God is interested in your heart. He's interested in obedience. He's interested in his word and the fulfillment of his promises. That's what he's interested in. It's a sign to us that he can be trusted when he fulfills a promise. It's why Matthew keeps reminding us this was to fulfill what was said through the prophets. It's a sign to us God can be trusted. So it's a glimpse of how he works and we must understand how he works because he works the same today. Thirdly, it's a reminder of hope. The story of the birth of Jesus and how it came about stands in stark contrast in a world today. 
You see, the issue of the, the, of the world in which we live today is not just that people don't believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the values and the principles that this passage talks about. The fidelity, the obedience, the faithfulness. We've moved away from that. And yet, these are the key principles of the new kingdom that he was inaugurating at that time. Christmas gives us an opportunity to remind the world there's hope. There's hope. It's not just tradition. There is genuine hope in Jesus. Right at the beginning of this story, it tells us, doesn't it, that, that, that she's going to give birth to a son and you're going to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The saviour is already talked about right at the beginning. Joseph becomes aware, oh, he's the saviour. There's hope for you and me because of this story, because of what happened. And then we find just some characteristics about Joseph, because if you read the Matthew version of the, of the, uh, of, of, of the birth of Jesus, the main focus is Joseph. If you read the Luke version, the main focus is Mary. And so there are these different sort of uh, focuses and emphases that these two passages have. What do we find about Joseph here? The first thing we realize is Joseph was righteous. Joseph was righteous. God often talks about people being righteous. Joseph wasn't righteous simply because he was righteous. He was righteous because of the way he was proposing to handle Mary, even though he had heard about the fact that she was now pregnant. That was considered righteous. He was going to divorce her quietly. Why? Because he didn't want to expose her to any more disgrace than there would be if he, if he divorced her in a big public way. That's a righteous act. Just think about that for a moment. Imagine that you had been betrayed by the person that you loved or you thought you'd been betrayed. Just imagine that. You had been betrayed and yet you still had the, the, the integrity and the kindness of heart to say, okay, I've been betrayed, but I don't want to shame this person. I don't want to expose them. I don't want to do anything that dishonors God any more than has already been done. That's how he responds in order to, uh, to move on. It's interesting that he was about to divorce her, but it's not considered unrighteous, that act. You see, infidelity, which is what he's thinking has happened here, will always be unrighteous. You, there's no justification for that. But divorce, at times there can be a justification for that. And this passage is an example that he was about to divorce her. And it was only the Holy Spirit that stopped him. He was not seeking revenge. He was not seeking retribution. Pauline and I have in some ways had the, un the unfortunate, I suppose. Um, I, I don't know what the word is. But we've, we've been involved with a number of people where the relationship has turned sour. And actually we've been involved at the moment it's turned sour. At the moment the information has come out. And sometimes relationships break down, not because sin has happened, but because of retribution and revenge. The inability to forgive, the inability to work through, the inability to, uh, to sort of just handle that situation. And we've seen marriages that have gone, that have been there for 20 or so years. They've, they've dissolved and they've become, if you like, they've become, uh, they've ended in like 20 minutes. It's all over. Something that was built for X number of years has ended literally in half an hour. And some of it is because of retribution, revenge, 
the inability to reconcile, even where sometimes there is repentance. Joseph wasn't about revenge or retribution, but he realized, hey, I, I can't marry this girl. I can't. If this is what's happened, I can't marry her. So we have to separate. But he was righteous in the way that he went about doing that. I just wanted to say this about righteousness and being righteous. You see, we, we have this view, and it's exactly right, that our righteousness comes from the fact that we are Christians and because of what Jesus has done. So because Jesus died on the cross for me and I'm now clothed in his righteousness, that makes me righteous before God. And that is right. Yeah, I'm righteous before God because of Jesus. I'm not righteous because of anything that I have done. Yeah, But when it talks about Joseph here, righteousness is not just a state of being. Righteousness is not just a standing it's a lifestyle. You see, righteousness is not just the fact that I'm right before God, hallelujah. Righteousness is about how I live. Do I live right with God? Noah was called righteous. Job was called righteous. Mary and Joseph are called righteous. Righteousness is more than just a standing. If you think righteousness is just a standing before God and it comes to you and, and because of grace, your righteousness is not about your performance, then actually, do you know what you do? You belittle lifestyle because you sin and you think, hey, it doesn't matter because I'm righteous before God, hallelujah. And yet the Bible says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, not yes. The grace of God is not the thing that causes you to be lapsadaisical. Sin causes you to be like that. The grace of God teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Righteousness is a lifestyle. Psalm 34 verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Do you know what? Some of us here today, or some of you here today, you're righteous. And I don't just mean in your standing, I mean in your lifestyle. You're righteous. And it's, it's helpful for you to know that because you can sometimes think nobody sees. Nobody understands the sacrifices. Nobody understands the temptations. Nobody sees what's going on. Nobody sees that I don't do those things. Nobody sees. And sometimes when you're like that, you can almost at times want to give up because you think nobody really cares. Nobody knows. Righteousness doesn't count for anything. I would have, I would have been better to have murdered 10 people and become a Christian. Because everyone would have looked at me and gone, hallelujah, look at this person. Look at the transformation of life. But you know what? God looks at the righteous. God looks at those who live righteously. He doesn't, he doesn't just look at you in, in the clothing of Christ. He does do that. You must understand that, that salvation is not about your performance. I'm not talking about righteousness as a performance. But I am saying God does look at the righteous. God preserved this moment in his history for two young righteous people called Joseph and Mary. He didn't preserve it for others. He preserved it for righteous living, people who are righteous. And if you don't realize that, you can be tempted to think that your righteousness doesn't count. You can be tempted to think that even if I try, even if I try, nobody gets it. And you're right, nobody might get it. But you know what? God loves the righteous. His eyes are looking for the righteous. He looks out for those who live well. Not just for those who believe it. It's, it's, it don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking those of us who, who believe and maybe, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't always live like that. I've not lived a righteous life. 
I'm grateful for what God has done, but I've not lived righteously. I'm not, I'm not sort of knocking that at all. God, God loves those, but he does love the righteous. Those who live his way. Job, you think about Job. Job was always trying to live God's way. That's what it means to be righteous, that you're considering God in all your actions. You're not turning against him thinking, oh, okay, I, I messed up last night, but hallelujah, I'm saved by grace. I know that is true. But sometimes God looks at the righteous and he loves them. You can read many, many scriptures where it talks about the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And Joseph was righteous. Secondly, and really simply, Joseph believed. Joseph believed. Now, he believed and accepted what must have appeared impossible to him. When he's, when, when he's, he's considered what to do, I, I think I'm just going to divorce her. She's pregnant. It's not me. I'm not the father. I don't know where it's come from, but it's not me. Okay, I'm going to have to divorce her quietly. He has a dream, and the dream says, hey, Joseph, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, Mary is as, Mary is as pure and righteous as you are. It's the Holy Spirit. He believes it. And, and, and I say that because sometimes we can think that Joseph believed, and we just think, oh, well, yeah, he believed. But actually, I honestly think that he had a choice. He had a choice not to believe. He had a choice to go, oh, I can't believe that. I'm not going to accept that. He had a choice because of the pain and the hurt that he would have felt not to have gone along with it, not to have accepted it. Would he recognize what was taking place or not? This was the life-changing dilemma that Joseph faced. In that moment, am I going to believe as God has just told me, no, this is of the Holy Spirit. It's not of any other man. Am I going to believe it or am I not going to believe it? That was, that was the situation he was in. The passage tells us that he responds positively. And next thing, Joseph obeyed. The call was to trust and obey. And, and you realize as a Christian that God is always calling you to trust and obey. To trust him and to obey him. I don't know how many of you remember, maybe not many, that we used to sing a, a chorus called Trust and Obey, Trust and Obey. To be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Joseph was quick to obey. Despite what it must have looked like on the outside, despite what other people might have thought, he was really quick to, do you know what, do you know what? I believe it. I trust him, even though other people, everyone else who, who sees this situation is going to go, Joseph, what on earth are you doing? I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. His actions were completely countercultural because that was not the way it worked in first century Judaism. Joseph had some fretful days to come because of his obedience. He had some fretful days to come. He had to act courageously. He had to act in faith. But because he trusted and obeyed, Joseph was used. Yeah, God used Joseph in quite an incredible way. He was used none other than to bring into the world and to protect and provide and care for the saviour of the world. Do you know what? He would have understood that. He would have understood that from the, from, the, from the promises, from the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus talked about or that were brought to him. He would have understood what was going on. 
Jesus is special. Gosh, God has given us something really special to take care of. God's using us in this moment. Joseph was used. Are we going to be used? Are we being used? God has called us to establish a grace-filled, spirit-filled church that glorifies his name here in Brixton. Are we going to trust and obey him? Are we going to believe him? I sometimes wonder what Joseph would have thought because we don't hear much more of Joseph. There's only one other occasion where we hear about Joseph and that's when Jesus was 12 and they go to the temple and Jesus gets lost and Joseph and Mary are searching for him and they eventually find him and he says, you know, I was about my father's business and, and they're a little bit annoyed because they're his parents. That's the only other time we hear about Joseph. We don't hear much more about him. I don't know whether he ever had another dream or another angelic visitation. I wonder whether he ever sat Jesus down and said, do you know what, son, I'm just going to tell you how it was. When you came into the earth, this, this is what was going on. We had to go to Egypt. They were after us, Jesus. They were after us because of you. Now, actually, if you say that to your son, it just might be a little bit too much for them to bear. Say to your child, look, it's all, it's all, it's all because of you, all the problems that we've had. But I just wonder what he thought. I wonder what he thought, what he reflected at times about that life-changing dilemma he had to believe or not to believe, to trust or not to trust, to obey or not to obey. I wonder what he thought years later. Tradition says that Joseph died quite young and that's why we don't hear any more about him, but, but the scriptures aren't clear about that. All we know is that after a certain time, we don't hear about Joseph anymore and I just wanted to say this God works the same today you see this is the thing about God is you can learn a lot about God when you read the Bible you can actually learn a lot about God when you read the Bible because God doesn't change yeah he doesn't he doesn't change the way he operates in some ways he he doesn't he doesn't like say oh you know I'm gonna I'm gonna move in a new way and it's gonna be through Facebook and and you can do all these new ways now God doesn't change change the way he operates Trust and obedience still important, still important to him. Righteousness, it's still important to him. Yeah, we are clothed in righteousness because of Christ. But living rightly is still important to him. Those things haven't, haven't come and gone. It's not, that he doesn't, they don't, it's not that they don't matter anymore. Fidelity in marriage, it's still important to him. All those things are still important to God. The question is, will we follow the example of Joseph? You see, one of the biggest dangers... Just thinking about Joseph and Mary as a young couple. One of the biggest dangers that the young, uh, you know, if you're younger than me and a lot of you are younger than me. The biggest danger of the young is, is to follow unwritten and unspoken cultural rules. This is a danger that we have when we're young. You go to school. Maybe you go to university. Maybe, maybe not. You find a job. You find a marriage partner. You then find a church that you can settle down with and have children, and then you serve and do creche. Yeah? And you're like, oh my goodness me, is that really it? Yeah? But we have this unwritten rule about certain things are going to happen at certain ages. And when they don't happen, we struggle. And we all go through that. When things don't happen in the way we thought they were going to do, they struggle. And I just wonder whether Joseph struggled. I wonder whether Joseph was thinking to himself, 
why on earth has it happened to me? Every other young Jewish lad has found a bride. They've not got themselves pregnant. And they just get married. Why me? Why, why me? Why can't I just go along like everyone else? That's all I want to do. I just want to live life like everyone else. I don't want to be singled out. I don't, I don't want all this pain and this difficulty and this uncertainty about my future. I wonder whether he thought that. I wonder whether at times he just struggled. And in his struggle, maybe he resisted God. No, no, I, I refuse to accept it. I refuse to accept that it's not going to follow the pattern. Okay, nobody talks about the pattern, but there is a pattern. Nobody talks about it, but I just want my life to follow the pattern. I wonder whether Joseph thought that. I wonder how, many of, how often we resist the will of God because it doesn't follow the pattern. Because do you know what I think God does? I, th I think God at different times, in different ways, he picks us all out. He picks us all out because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life and for my life, just like he had for Joseph's life. For Joseph's life, it was to, it was to be the father of the saviour of the world. That's quite a big thing. But actually, I do believe Joseph had a choice that he could have gone, no, this doesn't follow the pattern. This doesn't follow the plan that I had subconsciously in my head about how it was going to work. This doesn't follow it. Therefore, I will resist. Because it is possible to resist the will of God. I don't mean that to scare you, but it is possible to resist him. It is possible just to think to yourself, no, 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 I don't know why my life's turned out like that. It was never meant to be like that. By this age, these things were meant to have happened. I was meant to have got my degree, got a job, got married, had some children. All those things were meant to have happened and they haven't happened. God picks us all out. And do you know what I think he does? He gives us all an opportunity. I really do. I really think he gives us an opportunity, you and me, to follow his ways or no. And Joseph followed because he could see. Joseph could see. He understood from history. Ah, something special's going on here. And he obeyed immediately, even though it cost him at that moment. And who knows what it cost him for the rest of his life to obey. But sometimes we just resist and we resist and we resist. And do you know what? I think when that happens, sometimes God just moves on to someone else. Which is why we go through generations and generations of churches and Christians doing stuff and doing stuff. Now, obviously, there is a time that God is, is set by his own purposes where he is going to come back and, and do stuff. But actually, there's also a time that he wants to do stuff in our generation. But if we resist him, he'll move on because he, he will do what he wants to do. I remember Terry Virgo years ago. I, was at, I think it was the Downs Bible Weeks, many, many years ago. I remember Terry Virgo standing up and preaching, and he was preaching on holiness and purity. And he said, you know what? God will have his church, whether you're in it or not. God will have it. He is working out his purposes. And he gives you the opportunity, you and me, the opportunity to be part of it. But will we, like Joseph, embrace it at cost? Or will we say no? The best example of no are the Israelites, aren't they? The Israelites wandering around the desert. Do you know what? They were, 40, they were 40 days away from the promised land, but they ended up in the promised land for 40 years. And it wasn't just because they got lost. 
It was because they resisted. It was because they were ungrateful. And in the end, God said, okay, this generation, you're going to die out. It will be the next generation that inherit. And I know we're at Christmas and you think, oh, why such a heavy sermon at Christmas? But, but this, this was Joseph's experience. It really was. This was Joseph's experience. He had a moment for a life-changing dilemma. Am I going to believe him? Am I going to not believe him? He could have woken up that day and walked away from Mary, become a carpenter, found a nice Jewish girl who didn't get herself pregnant, and carry on in life. But actually... He understood and believed. No, God has spoken here and there is something special about this child. There's something special about this moment and I don't want to miss it. We never see in his response a resistance to the will of God. So will we accept and believe the impossible, the unacceptable, the unexplainable, the thing that doesn't fit with the plan that we've got, will we trust and obey? Because God's looking for men and for women, for young and for old, who will trust and obey him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for that type of openness. Let's pray together. The story of the birth of Jesus and, and God's dealings with Joseph particularly as we've looked at it. It's an important reminder for us as to how God deals with people. Different people. It's an important reminder of how God still deals with people. Yeah, none of us have been called to, to play the same role that Joseph played. Although we have been called to bear the saviour of the world. To the world. We've been called to be witnesses of that fact. The question is this. What will you do with Jesus this Christmas? What will you do with him? Will you just get caught up in all the paraphernalia which is Christmas, the presents and the cards and the food and the stuff? Or will you trust and obey? Maybe it means you'll stop resisting his will. You'll hear his voice and you'll act. Just like Joseph did. Remembering that what is at stake is the saviour of the world. Who will save people from their sins. It's the greatest hope that we have. It's the only hope that we have. Father, we want to thank you so much for this season of year, this time of year where we can celebrate and remember your coming, the moment when you came and, and, and the whole story that surrounds it. We want to remember this, how Joseph and Mary were trusted you and were obedient to you, even though things didn't look great for them. Father, I thank you that they are an example to us. And Father, I just pray that you would help each of us to be those who trust and obey, who hear your voice and act, 
even when you ask us to do things which are, are contrary to what we think should be going on. Father, I pray that we would be like Joseph. We would hear, we would act immediately. We wouldn't resist your will and your purposes, but rather we would embrace them, knowing that your will and purposes are the best thing for us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every heart here. You know our hearts. You know where we're at. Lord, I don't know where people are at. You know where they're at. You know us the inside out. You know what's going on. You know our thoughts. Father, I pray that you would cause even this company of people to be drawn close to you. I, I pray for us as individuals. I pray for us as a church that we would trust and obey. We would, we would take the baton for the part of the race that you've got us to run and the things you've got for us to do. Lord, I pray in your name and I pray for your glory. Amen.